Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon, and as a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get the job they really love. So in addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do indeed have a book out there. You can find Get a Job Without Going Crazy on Amazon or of course on my own website, and I'll bother you with that in a little bit. So we have a very special topic for you today, one that is on most job seekers' minds, and I'm gonna tell you all about the secrets for effective negotiations, especially when you get that job offer in your hot little hands, don't take it immediately. You need to negotiate so you can get the salary and the perks and everything else that you want. Yes, it is possible. Maybe not everything that you want, but you can certainly sweeten the deal. For those of you tuning in for the first time, just to let you know, our show's purpose is to really explore and redefine the world of work especially as Gen X, Millennials, and those to come after us seek positions of leadership that still allow us to be ourselves. So every show, we explore a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services. We are Denver's top-rated career coaching service. We actually hit the magic 100 five-star reviews on Google. So I'm pretty excited about that. It's pretty awesome. So how did we do this? Well, we like to focus on those practical tools for your job search. So we do a lot of resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching, and a lot of ongoing classes, both in person and online. So check out our ridiculously long website, personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com, or you know, you can just Google it. So let's dive into things today. Normally, I talk about tattoos at the end of the show. However, I think I'm finally ready for my next tattoo, and I'm so excited. I want to tell y'all all about it. Uh, picked out this design technically in 2020 and was waiting for the perfect opportunity. It's going to be on my lower leg, left leg, kind of like around the calf type area. And what it is, is so cool. It's actually a biohazard symbol, but it's not just a simple, basic biohazard symbol. And it doesn't like look like a tribal design or anything like that. It actually looks like it's eroded into the skin. The one I saw is kind of like, you know, you get the peeled skin effect with some of the ragged edges on it and stuff. I know, it's so charming, but uh, I don't want to make it look like blood or tissue underneath. I actually want to do it like that amazing neon green kind of color you see from the aliens, you know, from like Alien, the xenomorphs. Uh, So why in the world would I, in 2022 want to get a biohazard tattoo. Seems a little late for the party. It's not late for the party for me because I am now officially a COVID survivor. That's right, July 2022, I was down for the count with COVID. Woo, that was fun. And uh, yeah, I don't really recommend it. I got a nasty case of it. Yes, I'm vaccinated. 
Still got sick as a dog anyways. My husband, he was so nice. He gave it to me because we share everything. Um, he was pretty sick too. He didn't have it quite as bad as I did. But uh, yeah, I was pretty much laid out in bed for about five days, coughing up a lung, not literally. Um, just, oh, the fatigue was the worst part. Just... I couldn't do anything for more than one or two hours, and then I had to go take a nap. And even after the fever broke after five or six days, uh, that brain fog and the fatigue just hung around like it was dang near impossible to get any work done. Because obviously, what I do takes a little bit of brain power. And uh, I can't exactly guide people in their job search or on their careers or write an intelligent resume when literally I could not think. It was like my brain was full of cotton. And that lasted for about two weeks at least. The cough didn't go away for more than three weeks. And I'm asthmatic, so it's a little bit harder for me to shake those respiratory things. I think I still sound a little bit, <clears throat> but uh, I'm not contagious anymore. Just a heads up, it's all safe to be around me. You won't catch it through the airwaves. But uh, yeah, I earned my COVID tattoo. So that is the next one on the list and I'm pretty excited about it. There you go. So don't steal my idea. Ah, you can steal my idea too. All COVID survivors, you're welcome to take my idea. Or if you just feel like you're a biohazard out there and you wanna give the general public some warning, go for it. Now let's dive into what we really care about today, which is salary negotiations. And I wanna start off talking about some facts and figures, because I think once you hear these, you're gonna be surprised. Well, if you've never negotiated your salary before, don't feel like you're left out. Most people actually don't. In fact, 39% of workers tried to negotiate their salary. And this was a um, very famous research piece that Robert Half did back in 2018. So it was about 2,700 US job seekers that they polled. And so of that 39% who were trying to negotiate their salary, 46% were men and only 36% of women are trying to negotiate their salary. So there's definitely some gender differences within this. Um, but that's not all. A little bit bigger study done by ZipRecruiter in 2017 of 50,000 job seekers found out that who's actually taking that first offer? Like immediately, this is what the companies are throwing out there and they're ready to jump on it. So when they found that 60% of men will take that first offer and 69% of women will take it. So conversely, that means 40% of men were negotiating and only 31% of women were. So part of this reason, it's a lot of times men are trained to speak about money more often than women do. There can be age differences as well. So in a source from the ladders from 2018 found that 84% of Gen Z workers were accepting that first salary offered. 74% of millennials would take it. Then as you get into the more seasoned workers like myself, I'll admit it, 
So 59% of Gen X's were accepting the first offer and 59% of boomers were accepting the first offer. So experience matters. Again, as workers become more seasoned in their roles, they're more likely to ask for more money. And oftentimes people who are younger or entry-level people have never been trained in how to negotiate or the fact that they are even allowed to negotiate. They're just so willing to take that first offer because they just wanna get their foot in the door and get their feet wet. So what about today? I mean, that's like 2018 and 2017, but as we know, the world's changed a little bit. So I found ZipRecruiter's Job Seeker Confidence Index. They run this monthly. So the latest numbers they provided were from July, 2022. And they found that the share of job seekers who said they are completely confident that if the job uh, employer makes them an offer, they would negotiate before accepting. So this means, yep, they're gonna try to counter offer. So before July, 2022, it was 25%. So 25% of job seekers said, yep, we're gonna negotiate. However, in July, 2022, that dropped to 23%. So we're kind of sliding backwards and people who are willing to even try to counter offer these jobs. Uh, I personally believe this has a lot to do with recession fear is stopping people in their negotiations. We also see this in one of the confidence levels. So same thing, ZipRecruiter's Job Seeker Index, June, 2022, only 20% of job seekers felt that there would be less jobs in the future, right? They were anticipating strong hiring going on from the employers. However, July, 2022, one month difference, that confidence dropped to 26%. So 26% of job seekers, one quarter of the field, now feel that there are going to be less jobs in the future. And if you think about it, that kind of fear is the sort of things that stop people from negotiating their salaries because they don't want to lose on the opportunity because of the concern that if they do, the opportunity is going to go away. So don't let the recession fear stop you from asking for more money or for asking what you want. So why am I telling you this? Don't freak out, honestly. Hiring does experience seasonal swings. So most people don't realize this, career coaches, other professionals do. July is actually the second slowest month for hiring. Only December is going to see less new jobs being posted. So why is this? Why is hiring so slow in July? And if you've been watching the job boards in July and you're like, oh my gosh, there are so few jobs, the recession is coming, employers are no longer hiring. It's like, no because people are out on vacations, it's harder to get things approved, just the whole hiring process is slowed down and that's what makes July our second worst month for hiring. So if you're wanting to get a little bit more confidence boost here, we are heading into the second biggest hiring surge of the year 
which starts late September and really does run through mid-November all the way up through like that first week in December. So just so you know, don't be scared because you're not seeing as many jobs. So here's the next big question. Should you even try to negotiate? Well, you know what I'm going to say. Of course you should. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's actually becoming more common today. Uh, Jobbyte slash employ is a big company. Obviously, Jobbyte is another um, website for you know recruitment and things like this. And uh, what they found in March 2022, that 71% of workers said they were comfortable negotiating strategies in the current job market. So that's up 19 points since 2018, 71%. And um, even beyond that, 29% said they are very comfortable negotiating a salary. Interesting number since we've seen by July 2022, that number has dropped a little bit. So just to keep that in mind. Now, the other thing is you don't necessarily have to ask for money when you're going into negotiations. Remote work is the very favorite thing that job seekers ask for when it comes to evaluating a position these days. So as a matter of fact, it's so popular, 40% of job seekers said they would be willing to accept a lower salary to work remotely or to have more flexibility in their work environment. So that's a thing. We can be creative with what we're looking for to make sure that we get the best possible outcome for our particular situation. So how much money are we actually talking about here? So 64% of recent hires who were previously employed, so not brand new first-time jobs, say they got a pay raise by switching employment. So 48% of them got a raise of 11% or more while 31% said they got a raise of six to 10%. So here's an important thing to understand about this. And by the way, that's as of April, 2022. So we know people are moving because of money. There's a trick that HR knows. The reason why they might ask you for a salary history or your current employment amount is HR is known not just within the past few years, but for decades, because it even goes back to when I did HR 20 years ago, that most job seekers will switch positions for a five to 7% increase in salary. Yeah, so when they make that offer and they know what you were earning before, they would usually base it somewhere between the five to 10% above what you were making before. This is why so many states are now making it illegal to ask for your salary history or to ask you what you were earning in your past salary because it's the depression of your salary moving forward. If I'm basing your offer today on what you made before and this position is like a huge leap up or greater responsibilities or a bigger organization, that is not fair especially if I'm expecting you to negotiate for more. And as we've already seen, females are less likely to negotiate than males. And this is one of the reasons that they have identified the pay gap between men and women. So go for it. 
ask for it, you're going to get above those meager raises and those meager offers that they're making to you to really get what you're worth. Uh, and how big of an impact does this have? Well, let's add just $5,000 to a you know, modest salary of $40,000. So you negotiate, you get it all the way up to $45,000. So let's assume you would get just a 5% pay increase every year. Typical cost of living raise, you know, with a couple of extra points for good behavior and such. Well, here's the thing that's a little shocking and will blow your mind. That extra $5,000 when you walk in the door will equal over your lifetime earnings from 45 years, over $750,000. That's right. Asking the right questions, pushing for the negotiation will get you three quarters of a million dollars over the course of your career. So yes, that's exactly why it's so critical to make sure you get the most money you can walking in the door. Uh, here's another big secret that nobody will tell you. Uh, managers are expecting you to negotiate. As a matter of fact, 70% of managers are expecting you to negotiate when they give you a job offer. But here's the sneaky thing. They're not going to tell you. What? That doesn't seem fair. Well, no, it's not. But the, there's a real reason why they are doing this. It's kind of like common business knowledge that's not that common. Uh, by the way, this came from an article in Forbes from 2020. And I will tell you, it is totally, totally true. So just to give you an idea why, yeah, anybody out there really love shopping for cars? It, a lot of people are like, I hate shopping for cars. Me, I love shopping for cars. I love negotiating car deals so much that I just beg my family members to take me car shopping with them because I love this dance. And one of the things, this is a great story. So my son was getting a car and he couldn't afford a whole lot. He was just getting like a little used car because his beater was dead, right? And so we went to a small used car lot, one of the reputable ones. I know they exist, what a thing. And I knew the value of the cars we were looking at, also the key point. Um, and we started to get into the negotiations and um, you know, one of the questions I had was how are they gonna finance it? And I was co-signing because my son, you know, son needs help, these kind of things. And there's always negotiable points when you're looking at cars. And one of the things you can do in a negotiation is how much money do you get out of your trade-in, which actually reduces your tax burden on the new car. A uh, little, little tip right there for you. But we get to the point where we're now in the initial offers. We've got them going and giving us more money for this car that barely runs. We got the finance all in place. We're about to sign the contract. And I say, you know what? I'm looking at the final price on this car. And can you take off like another thousand dollars? And the, the sales managers, no, we can't really do that. I'm like, hey, you can't blame me for trying. 
And the sales manager, he goes, you know what? The strong ones always do. Those people who are the best customers are always going to try to get the better deal because they know they're coming from a position of strength. The same exact thing happens when you are negotiating your salary. And we're going to dive into those five secrets to help put you in a position of strength and let you get that greater salary increase that you deserve. All right. So what are these five secrets? Number one is you have to learn to talk about your numbers without flinching. Yep, this is just like that old bully thing you've ever heard, right? So we've all seen the bullies or had to put up with the bullies where they're like fake you out. And then you're like, ah, and you cringe because you don't want to get hit. And then they hit you twice because you got two for flinching? Yeah, if you flinch when you're talking about your numbers, this is going to hurt way, way worse than getting punched by a schoolyard bully because it's gonna hit you in your wallet. Ugh, I hate that. So what do I mean by this? The main thing is most people are not taught or trained how to talk about their salary requirements. So even before we start learning to pause, we need to learn to say our numbers without flinching. Think about what kind of salary are you really wanting to earn? Normally, like in the phrases of a range, and I want you to say it to yourself. I am seeking a salary between 100 and $125,000. And you got to practice saying it just like that. And the more times you say it with whatever your range is, the more likely you are to talk about it with confidence in an actual interview. I want you to do this with everybody. I want you to say your salary range to your friends, to your significant others, in the mirror, to your cat, to everybody who's got ears and that you trust. Because the more you do it, the easier it is in real life. Let me give you an example of this. So when I worked at that weird Butler school, I was given the authority to hire an assistant for myself. And we had assistants before, and I knew we were underpaying the market. So what I did is a salary analysis and evaluation in the area, found out, uh, how low we were, went to the owner of the company and got it approved to actually offer a salary all the way up to $15 an hour. It, it was like 2005. So I know that's not a great amount, but for our people, this was a huge change. And I start interviewing assistants. And invariably these people, whenever I would ask them, so what kind of salary are you looking for? They would go, well, I'm hoping to make 14 an hour, but I'll take 12. And then they would have that nervous, ah, oh, God awful grin, like they're gonna convince me. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much. And 
guess where my salary offers came in at? And if you're saying $12 an hour, no, I didn't because I'm not an asshole. I would actually make their job offers come in at $13 an hour. Why would I do such a thing? Well, this makes me golden everywhere. I'm golden with the boss because I didn't hit the max of the budget. I'm golden with the candidate because I didn't roast him for making a mistake. But if a single one of them had ever countered offered me, I already had the approval to give them the money. And not a single one ever, ever countered offered. And it kind of broke my heart because I really wanted to give them more money. But you know what? That's how this dance works. So that's why you have to practice saying your numbers. If a single one of them had told me, I'm seeking a salary between $13 and $15 an hour, my initial offer would have been higher. All right. So let's talk about when the money thing does come up on in the interviews. So this could be very well in the job posting itself. Uh, and definitely when HR is doing the first in their interviews, whether it's in person, online, or via phone, they usually start the salary discussion at this point. Now, even if you see what the salary range is, or if they've got a posted salary range and then they still ask you, what kind of salary would you like for this position? We wanna flip this back on them. We want HR to say that number first because we wanna know what they're actually thinking. And this is definitely when the game gets into whoever speaks next loses. So this is literally how that conversation will play out. So HR goes, what kind of salary are you hoping to get for this position? As the candidate, you would say, as we are still discussing the scope of the job, that can be hard to pin down. Can you give me an idea of what your salary range is? And then there's that weird, awkward silence where you both kind of stare down each other. And then finally, HR is usually the first one to crack. And then they'll say, well, we have a budgeted salary range of 70 to 80,000. Then you as the job seeker can say, you know what? I'm very comfortable within that range. But if you're not, this is your opportunity to start changing those expectations. Case in point, one company I went to work for was we were early in the discussions. They had the, mentioned their salary range. And I was like, you know what? The very top of your range is $5,000 below my minimum. And I don't think we're going to be able to meet that unless you've got some flexibility in your salary ranges at this point. And they were like, hmm, not sure what we can do right now. I go, you know what? Why don't you keep looking for someone? And if you can't find somebody who does everything that you need, and you're able to make some you know, accommodations on this salary range, let's revisit then and reopen our discussions. So I went away, two, three weeks goes by, I don't hear anything, and then all of a sudden, I get the phone call of, hey, we would love to speak to you again, and yes, we have changed our salary ranges, would you please be willing to speak with us? I did. And yes, even when they had come up their salary, 
I did try to counteroffer. I didn't get it in that case, but you know what? I only say the strong candidates will always try to negotiate, even if it's something they can't produce at that time. So this is also a great trick now where like if the company goes, you know, we posted our salary range of 100 to 125,000, you still want to ask them, what in a salary range do you hope to hire? There's many companies these days that are putting in a huge range to fit the, you know, just compliance on what's expected in job postings. Like here in Colorado, the law is you need to have a posted salary range. So you'll see companies put in, this job pays between 50 to $150,000. Seriously? No, it doesn't. No way. You need to get them pinned down on what their real life range is so that you don't get trapped into an offer that's too low. So here's your building that base for the negotiations. Number one, that awkward silence is absolutely crucial in this process. Number two, if you can't get them to share their range first, you may in fact have to give yours. And if you do, you must say your numbers with confidence. I have to totally believe it in my heart of hearts that you feel that you're worth this amount then I'm more likely as an employer to give it to you. Yeah, so those posted salary amounts, just remember you still have to get them to confirm the real range for the job. And big tip, most of the time, if the salary range is like one to 125, most of the time HR wants to hire somewhere within the mid to the bottom of the range. Uh, very rarely do you get the total top of the range. Another reason to go through this exercise with them. So number two big secret is to know your worth. Do you really know what others in your industry are earning? And uh, again, you can't just rely on the company. You got to do your own research. So here's some of those sources that everybody's kind of relying on right now that are a little lame. So like Indeed or LinkedIn. The reason why I call those sources lame is it's not real statistical analysis. What they've done is they've asked the recruiters when they're putting the job out there, what kind of salary range you're hiring. They're gathering it from job seekers. What did you get paid before? So it's not real empirical data, it's self-reported data, and that's what makes it less reliable. Um, similarly, you can't go by the company's job postings, especially we've seen since 2021. Uh, it's a definitely a hot employment market. We have low unemployment. That means salary ranges are going up because people are negotiating better because it's a buyer, you know, it's the job seekers market. So that's also one you can't really rely on some of these older job postings. I definitely wouldn't rely on the company's job posting. I mean, that's great for what they pay, but we wanna know how that compares to the market. And Glassdoor uh, can be interesting, but now you're seeing self-reported by the employees on a anonymous platform. 
So you got to take everything they say with a grain of salt because people like to complain. Um, the sources I do like to use, the awesome ones, are things like salary.com, payscale.com. Uh, look for labor market indicators for your specific area. Uh, this is the link for the Colorado one. It's called the um, Colorado Labor Market Indicator. They actually call it the LMI Gateway Labor Market Indicator. See? Uh, and if you are like really into statistical data, the Bureau of Labor Statistics for the US government uh, is a great source. I'm not that much analytical, but if you are, go for it, have lots of fun reading reports because I know some people are like that. All right, let's talk about secret number three, which is all about timing. And this means you have to Wait, pauses equal money. And I'm not just talking about the pauses in the actual interview itself. In fact, when you get that offer, do not accept it immediately. I know you're so excited. This is your dream job. It's your dream company. They even gave you a salary range that you like. Wait at least 24 hours before you accept it or counter offer it. Uh, now, it can be possible to wait too long. I really think one week's max is more than enough time. If you start waiting more than a week uh, or two at the very, very most, there really has to be extenuating circumstances. Uh, usually, if you're pushing it to beyond a week, we're looking at a very senior level. Uh, so when I've helped executives with their salary negotiations, and we start getting into things like stock options and equity positions and base salaries plus commission plus bonuses and the really complex deals, uh, that can take a couple of weeks to get hammered out. Uh, but that's kind of like the exception to the rule uh, for most mere mortals one week is really pushing it unless you've got some extenuating circumstances. Uh, along those lines, it's pretty good etiquette to say, hey, I would love to consider this position for a few days. Uh, do you have a deadline for when I need to give you my response? Uh, so that's helpful because it gives you an idea of exactly how much time you have. And honestly, even if you think it's the best offer ever, don't accept it immediately. There was one of my clients who just recently, just a few months ago, uh, he was in this situation. You know, he had been laid off and he was considering a role. It was one of his top choice companies. It was a functional promotion. It was set up for future promotions. Definitely projects he was excited about. It was an awesome salary. He liked it. And I really pushed him. It's like, okay, we're going to ask for $10,000 more. It was a six-figure salary. He's like, oh, no, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, yes, you can. It's okay. We're going to ask for more. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. In the end, he did finally ask for more. There were some other things that we were dealing with in his negotiations, some other fine details. And uh, he only asked for 5,000 more. 
And guess what? They said, fine. They were happy with it. I'm like, oh, you should have asked for the 10. He's like, I should have asked for the 10. But as it turned out, the whole reason why he didn't want to ask for more is his parents were advising him that you should be humble. You should be grateful. You should take what you've been given. And it was extremely hard for him to ask for more because he was coming from this actually a very genuine and humble point of view. But in fact, he needed to ask for the more money because they were waiting for him to counter offer. So should you say that you have another offer? This is often a big trick people like to use. If you is true, meaning you've got two companies that have given you real firm offers or you've just finished up with a company and you strongly feel like you've done several interviews with them. You think possibly it's going to go into an offer. Should you let company number one know? If it's true, yes. Competing offers can equal more money or perks because you can play them against each other. Who really wants you the most? Uh, you do need to communicate about the timing. Again, that one week window. Um, and so it, I've seen this as a coach. I've seen this in human resources where somebody goes, I've got an interview next week with another company. I want to see how that goes before I accept your offer. And I'm like, is it an interview with the hiring manager? Is it an interview with the CEO? Is it your first interview with HR? Because if it's your first interview with HR, that is not firm enough to risk an actual job offer in hand. Comes back to that old bird in the hand is better than two in the bush idea. Now here's the other risky thing that a lot of people do. They'll come up with a fantasy job offer. So it's not a real company, it's a fake. They're faking it. So don't do that. Don't make up fantasy job offers. It's not good to start things off with your new employer on the basis of a lie. Not to mention, you could really blow this opportunity, especially if you're trying to go too high just to pump numbers. Not to mention, it's not a good way to start a relationship. Let's face it, nobody wants to go on several dates with somebody only to find out that they've been lying to you the whole time. So yeah. Don't do that. All right. Secret number four, get it in writing. Yep. A verbal offer is only as good as the paper it's written on. In other words, that thing is nebulous. Uh, you don't know exactly what it is. And when you're trying to create your counter offer, you need to see the details in front of you. And yes, whether it's a formal contract or just an email with a few notes on it, you, all those count, all of them count, uh, but you absolutely have to have the basics in hand as you form your counteroffer. So what are some of the things you wanna make sure that's included in the job offer? At the minimum, you need to see the job title, the salary amount, the basic benefits of the package, just like, Oh, we provide health, dental, and vision, basics like that. The vacation amount, uh, which might be phrased as two weeks vacation, or 
paid time off equal to 40 hours. That's only one week. Uh, and of course, the potential start date. Now, why do we want to make sure all these things are in here? Some of the things you can negotiate and some of the things you can't. Uh, job titles, eh, maybe, usually not. Salary, absolutely. Basic benefits, like the standards they offer to everybody, eh, depends. You could go after fringe benefits, but not, not the health package. The vacation amount, that's flexible. Even start dates are flexible. I had one client I was helping with her negotiations. Uh, it was like her entry-level job too. And she was already planning a cross-country move and was wanting to do a bunch of vacation-y stuffs on the way. We pushed her start date out by a whole month, which was her top priority. So the next thing you want to do when now that you've got these things in your hand is I love to use this simple formula to evaluate any salary or job offer. Just break it down into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, I, I've never actually seen the movie. I don't, I don't like cowboy movies, but that's an awesome formula that I can even keep in mind. So the good, what is it that you like about this offer or the company itself, including the job and the benefits and the um, actual duties and perks and everything about the job? What's good? Of course, we're going to look at the bad. What do you dislike about the company, the opportunity, the job offer, all of it? What's the bad? And then let's get into the ugly. What do you know about this company as far as their reputation, their values, past employee reviews, any other red flags that you might have seen throughout the interview process? Because let me tell you something, if something's ugly through the interview process and the job offer negotiations, it's only going to get worse when you get hired. Red flags are there for a reason. Follow your gut and identify those ugly things. All right, number five, our last big secret is always counter offer. Because remember, they are expecting you to negotiate. Even more than that, most of the time, HR already has a second offer in their back pocket. It's already approved. You just have to ask for it and make sure it's within those parameters that they have. Remember, I was approved to hire an assistant at $15 an hour and not a single one asked for anything above 13. And I would have gladly given them 15. They always have the second offer in the back pocket. So here's some tips for the creating those counter offers. I like to limit the counter offer to 10 or 15% more. We have seen some numbers over the past year with the hot market and the great resignation and just so much turnover with the companies. They, you can push it up to 20. Just understand that whatever you're putting out there, you're going to have to compromise. You know, you're not going to get 20% above what the salary offer is. So for example, the salary offer came in as 100,000. You counter offer to 120. You're more likely to get 110. 
Now, if you're thinking, well, I don't want to do that, they may pull the whole job offer at that point. Well, if they did, you dodged a bullet. Don't worry about it. So sometimes you can't get the money. You know, they honestly can't do anything to increase the cash. So go for the other perks. Remote work is also a huge thing on people's priority lists. Can you get more vacation or paid time off? You know, what kind of equipment? Uh, yes, you can ask for a new laptop, especially if you're going to be doing some remote work. Pushing on those start dates, either sooner or later, either way, and fringe benefits. I've seen some really unique things come from the fringe benefits aspect of things. So, yeah, now you're thinking, hey, I didn't get what I asked for. Honestly, the way they treat you at this point is going to be your final test on that company culture. Hopefully, they give you an honest response. An honest response is something along the lines of, you know, this is really the best that we can do at this time. You know, we just don't have the budget right now to go higher than this, but uh, will you please consider? taking our original offer. Another factor you might hear them say is, maybe we can revisit this in six months uh, when we've got a little bit more stability in the position, especially if it's a new job. Sometimes they'll do that because they haven't seen all the key achievements that are come out of it yet. The other thing you can do is ask for a possible bonus, or they might offer a bonus, but uh, be careful with bonuses. Uh, we need to know at least some loose parameters about the bonus. So things to keep in mind would be, is this based on individual performance, team performance, company performance, overall revenues, your team's revenues, how much money you're saving them, how many problems you're solving, when is the bonus happening? If it's like an annual bonus, for example, I know many, many people I've worked with, especially in the management levels, that they have the bonus, year-end bonus, which you think would be paid in December, but it's not. It's paid in March because the company needs to close out the year, do their evaluation on the teams, see where the you know, potential was and the contributions of each people, determine how they're gonna split it out, Make sure you don't leave the company as soon as you get your bonus. That's why they keep you hanging on till March. You see this all the time in management structures. So if you ever hear somebody talk about the golden handcuffs, that's a classic example there. They're hanging on in a job they didn't like because they're waiting for the bonus to pay out. And if it's like a bonus that's 30% of your salary, uh, yeah, that's worth hanging in there for it. But those are just some things to think about don't let them just give you general answers without a little bit of guidance. Uh, you don't want to be totally nitpicky and come back with your 15 points of let's see what this bonus looks like. Just make sure you get something in writing. Uh, now, if they just completely rescind the offer, I mean like, oh, you pushed back for an extra five or $10,000, and they go, you know what? I think we're just going to go with someone else. 
holy cats, they just pulled the entire offer off the table. You know what? Good. Let them go. They are jerks. And I mean, that is the sign of a horrible company culture. They don't appreciate people's time. They don't respect you. They, you know, they didn't even get honest about, you know, this is the best we can do at this point. Uh, also, things with government, government won't even pull an offer off the table if you try to you know, negotiate. They might just say, hey, this is what we've calculated for this level of employee and we just can't move beyond this because of policy in our union contracts. Awesome, that's being honest with you. But yeah, if they pull the job, they are jerks awful company culture. You don't want to have anything to do with that. All right. So in conclusion, I hope that I'm convincing you today to be brave and counter offer when you get the opportunity for these positions. They really do want you to counter offer. So number one, talk about your numbers with confidence. No flinching. Remember, two for flinching, and you don't want the, your wallet to get beat up. Now, number two, make sure to give this some time. Don't be the one who's going to save your numbers first. You need the company to save their numbers first. Also, be sure to get things in writing, and don't be scared to counter offer. Well, I hope you enjoyed our exploration of salary negotiations today and that you learned something that you can use for the next time that somebody offers you a job. If you find you need a little bit of help learning to talk about your numbers or putting together counter offers or you know, any of those complicated things that comes with salary negotiations, we would be happy to help you out with some coaching services along these lines. And yep, we do offer a free consultation just go to our website, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com. Go to the contact page. You can sign up for it right there. And just one per person. And normally we talk about the United States. So if you're listening to this somewhere else in the world, I'm not an expert in negotiations in other countries. I just kind of know the tricks here in, in good old USA. Maybe Canada, maybe Mexico, other places, maybe not so much. But again, that website is personaltouchcareerservices.com. My name is Donna Shannon, and this has been Tattooed Freaks in Business Suits. Thanks for listening to Tattooed Freaks in Business Suits, produced by the Personal Touch Career Services. Our host is Donna Shannon. All music has been ethically sourced and licensed from sounddogs.com and epidemicsound.com. Support the arts. We certainly do. Join us next time as we continue to explore the evolving world of work and leadership in the United States. If you are interested in being a guest or if you would like to receive a complimentary career evaluation, please visit the contact page at personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com. Or you can just Google it.